This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, I'm John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Wednesday, January 11th. The weather forecast for today, another gray day, and you'll probably see some flurries, the high plus two degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Toronto's budget brings in tax increases to homeowners. Mayor John Tory joins Moore in the morning at 6.35. Number two, a murdered homeless man is identified. Number three, the LCBO website has gone down. Number four, Via Rail says, sorry about that. And number five, Joe Biden agrees to a Canadian visit. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Oh, hello. 5.07 on a Wednesday morning. It's minus four degrees. It's funny, you know, we talk about the wind chill, and I often question the idea of the humidex or the wind chill, but it's true that the temperature feels different some days. And maybe it's because we've trended so well above normal for the last month that when I stepped out this morning for the three meter walk to the car, I thought, this is actually quite crisp outside. This is actually uh, pretty cold. So if you haven't left the house already, and I always appreciate there's all kinds of people already loaded into their cars and off and running at this hour. But if you haven't left yet, then yeah, you want the toque, you want the gloves, you want the scarf. I don't know if you need a neck warmer, but it's cold outside. Minus four on the thermometer and then minus nine is the wind chill we're getting from the airport. So on the show this morning, we are most certainly going to be talking about Toronto's budget. And there's a number of angles here. I mean, first of all, I'm always mindful of the fact that you could be listening right now and you're in Burlington, Markham, Whitby, wherever you might be. And you're like, why do I care about whether or not you guys can pay the bills in Toronto? And so we're, we'll address that in from multiple angles. One of the issues would be that every budgetary pressure that the city of Toronto is facing is going to be faced by other municipalities. And I spent some time thinking about Mississauga, for example, yesterday when we had this kind of blockbuster revelation that taxes were going up 5.5% on, um, uh, you know, property taxes. And then there's another 1.5, which I think is a bit rabbinical. I mean, a tax is a tax is a tax. You can say that this tax is about something else, but it's still the tax. Um, So basically a 7% increase in property taxes for the city of Toronto. But I also know that Bonnie Crombie had already sounded the alarm some time ago, and I haven't seen if she's produced her budget numbers yet, but that owing to the province waiving some developer fees, municipalities were looking at some pretty significant tax increases unless they get money from another venue. And I spent a lot of time yesterday. I know John Tory's listening right now, and he's going to be on with us at 6.35. So I, I, I'm sure there's nothing I can do to surprise him in my line of questioning. Um, but I spent a lot of time yesterday going through the deck that was basically the, the PowerPoint presentation that was presented at Toronto City Hall in order to explain where we're going in the budget and something that kind of made an impression on me was how frequently 
in a 59-page document, if I'm remembering the exact number of pages, how frequently it said that they were going to be leaning in on other governments to try to cover the spread. And the problem is this. Owing to COVID, and in particular, the two budget envelopes that were totally stressed out by COVID were uh, in terms of homelessness and the number of people, there's been a spike in, in demand on homeless services, and that has been somewhat crippling to the city's economy. And then there's the fact that almost everybody stopped going anywhere, and so they stopped uh, using public transit. But the decision was made, rightly, I think, to keep running the system as it was run. So, you know, 100% of the budget still going out the door. And at one point, I forget where it bottomed out. I think like TTC usage bottomed out at like 25% or something like that. And it's still not back. And as we learned yesterday in conversations with uh, one of the city councilors and the chair of the TTC board, we're still only at about 65, 69% of TTC usage. So, you know, that's the people who are actually paying to use it and how many people aren't paying. Uh, and getting back to pre-pandemic levels is not going to happen in this calendar year. So these are some very, very significant pressures. But you get to what we didn't cover in terms of our budget last year, the COVID deficit, and then you get to what we are not capable of covering this year in terms of um, required spending. And it's, it's worrisome to say the least. And like I said, every few pages in this presentation I was looking at yesterday, they would say we need to find ways for other governments to provide, you know, to cover the spread. So Queens Park and Ottawa. And while John Tory was saying to me in a, a communication earlier in the week, he said there's been progress from Queens Park. I haven't seen that anywhere, so he can explain that at 635. Um, but actually, quote unquote, he has said that uh, dealings with Ottawa have been difficult. So here's what a few people had to say on the street yesterday. I was we had just gotten off the air yesterday morning. I think it was like 915 and we were meeting with a couple of the managers and John Tory was sort of taking the wraps off of the budget. And that's where we learned of this 5.5 percent. And I can say that that sent more than ripples through our news operation and probably through the streets of Toronto. Yeah, it's very high, so I just hope it's well spent, you know, because uh, it seems like services and everything else are going down and uh, the homeless problem is out of control. No law enforcement that sadly is needed, but it's going to be a necessary item for the budget. It's so expensive nowadays, our salary, it's not increasing at all. So, you know, um, I guess you kind of heard aspects of the the aggregate impression that people had yesterday, which is, say what? How much more money? What the heck? And also an understanding that if you, for example, want to spend money on security on the TTC and security on the streets of Toronto, that's going to that's gonna cost. Uh, yesterday afternoon on The Rush, Professor Meyer Simiatiaki from Metropolitan University, which is a name I'm still getting used to. I'm always like, where's that? Oh, right, Ryerson. Uh, but he was saying that John Tory, who is now into his third mandate, should probably not have 
hewn as close as he did or has over the last eight years to this idea of never increasing taxes beyond the rate of inflation. I think this hit on uh, property taxes could have been avoided if the mayor had not been as fixated on um, uh, not increasing even minimally taxes over his previous seven or eight years. There were very, very modest increases. We're now paying in one huge hit for the fact that he wouldn't make more reasonable, smaller increases in previous years. So I was mentioning that even if you're waking up this morning in Burlington, Markham, Vaughn, anywhere else, that there are reasons why this is of urgent importance to you as well. And there are two reasons. The first is that this same crunch is probably coming to your municipality. The other would be, and this will be part of our conversation with John Tory at 6.35 this morning, people come into Toronto. So they're taking advantage of our roadways, our water delivery and waste removal and police services and the TTC perhaps. So you are actually benefiting from the services that are bought and paid for by Toronto taxpayers. And at the moment, there is still no means by which you will be charged for that. All right, time for What Toronto is Talking About with News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, happy hump day, happy Wednesday. Good to see you again. All right, so we've been seeing, you know, trickles or big trickles of the budget, I should say. Finally, it's been unveiled, and that includes a 5.5% property tax hike, the biggest since amalgamation. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise yesterday morning. I know you guys announced it at about 9.15, and John Tory was holding a press conference to reveal the full contents of the budget. We have a 5.5% property tax hike. You're absolutely right. It is the biggest since amalgamation. John Tory will argue, I'm sure, that it is still below the rate of inflation, but that's because inflation <laughs> is out of control. Right. Then there's 1.5% of a city building levy that is also thrown in. Water and waste, which are going up each by 3%. TTC fair hike. So John Tory appears this morning on our show. I imagine he'll be talking with you guys as well in order to defend this budget, but I'm fairly confident he'll just argue, listen, we're up against the wall, we're up against the numbers, and this is just the way it's got to be. Mm -hmm, absolutely. They got to fill that almost $1 billion uh, deficit some way. Uh, and we do have Mayor John Tory coming on at 635, John, so we'll definitely ask him about that. Uh, in other news we're following, you know, we hear about so many deaths, but it's not until a, a victim has been identified that we see his face that they kind of become a person more than just a statistic or word. So uh, the man killed in that alleged swarming attack has been identified as police. This was a murder on the 18th of December that I think appalled all Torontonians. And it was a man who was allegedly surrounded by a bunch of teenage girls, 13 to 16 years old, and stabbed to death. And there's a degree of dignity, I think, in being able to identify him and give him somewhat of, uh, you know, the personality in, in terms of painting a public profile. His name is Ken Lee. He was 59 years old. He was, as we know now, homeless. And he was memorialized yesterday at the uh, somewhat scarily expanding memorial that happens right mm -hmm. outside of the Eaton Centre at one of the churches in downtown Toronto. His name was added to the list of homeless people who have died on our streets. 
Mm -hmm. And advocates are, you know, calling for me more measures now. They're saying that this was a person who was trying to get out of the the, uh, the shelter system as well. So very sad news there. Uh, you know, John, we talk about face-to-face -face meetings being important, and I guess you can say that about the Three Amigos Summit because there are now plans for getting us through that nexus backlog. Yeah, a lot of things developing from the Three Amigos, one of them being an announcement that Canada is going to be buying from the U.S. an anti-missile system that it will be then donating to Ukraine. Uh, but the other thing, for those people who are familiar with Nexus, I actually have people who tell me, John, don't talk about this. It's such a great program. We don't want anybody else to be in it. But I mean, it's it's a car that gives you rapid access to the United States. And as a matter of fact, it even, it even expedites domestic travel. If you're going Toronto, Montreal, you hold up your Nexus card and you get front racked. Uh, so they have made a deal to expedite the process of either renewing a Nexus card or getting a Nexus card. So that is terrific news. Yeah, it's kind of like when you go to Disneyland or Canada's Wonderland and you get that fast pass to go <laughs> yes. on all the rides. <laughs> all right. And John, uh, this was supposed to happen two years ago in 2021 after the inauguration, but President Joe Biden finally planning to visit Canada in March. This is another thing that came out of the Three Amigos meeting, and you're absolutely right. Usually the first visit that a president pays is to Canada, because it's an easy one, but also it's a great relationship. Uh, but it's been two years since Joe Biden was inaugurated, and it was announced yesterday he'll make his first visit to Canada in the month of March. Okay, John, let's finish on this one. I'm a little concerned because I have a gas stove at home. It lights mm -hmm. up very fast. You cook things immediately. But the U.S. is considering a ban on gas stoves because of a, a hidden harmful element uh, or a component or hazard. So what's up with this and should Canada be following suit? Well, I'm with you in being concerned. I actually... You know, in shopping for a house, mm -hmm. one of the requirements for me was that it had to have a gas stove because, <laughs> you know, I went to culinary school and oh, wow. I don't want to cook on an electric or an induction <laughs> stove. So, yeah, in the States, uh, apparently all kinds of uh, measures of the quality of air in a home where somebody uses a gas stove shows that it's full of all kinds of pollutants that, for example, might cause childhood asthma. So there is an initiative. I don't know how serious this actually is, although they did ban wood-burning fireplaces in Montreal. Montreal, there's an initiative to hmm. actually outlaw the use of gas stoves. I This is going to be a fraught debate, right? Because pretty well every single restaurant I've ever been in uses a gas stove, although they also have ventilation. Hmm, interesting. Okay, I have asthma as well, so this is coming as a double whammy to me. News Talk 1010's John Moore. <laughs> Appreciate the time. Have a great show. Jennifer Shung over at CP24. Not sure if people were able to hear Bill chirping in the background, Bill Coulter, the weatherman. Uh, but uh, yeah, now Bill wants me to invite him over for dinner. Fine. As long as you're ready to get the heck out of the house at an early hour. Um, one of the things we do at our house, we call it shotgun. And we will have a dinner party on a working night. And you show up at six and you have to be out of the house by about 845 because I got to go to bed. And I have reached that intransigent and difficult moment in my life where, honestly, if I lose 15 minutes of sleep, the show is wrecked, as you've probably heard. So uh, you can always go to bed and the, your company can still stay up and party. You know, I know people who have done that. Um, but I also remember Matt Galloway, who used to be the host of another morning show in Toronto and is a, is a bud, um, he said... When he got to the point where he was going to bed before his children, he had to quit.
And so that's why he got out of the business of doing morning radio. It's a, it's a weird-ass lifestyle, I will confess. Um, but listen, let's get back to all of the top stories that we have to unpack today. And a bit like yesterday, it's one of those days where I've got dozens of stories that I want to share with you, but certain ones obviously have priority. And trying to bring some context to Toronto's city budget, I think, is urgently important because I think this is kind of a seminal moment in the life of our city. And maybe the good professor who was on the Jerry Agar show yesterday morning hit the nail on the head that we did not raise taxes year after year after year. And that's a very popular means of running an administration, but eventually you know, the tax man arrives or not the tax man. I'm, and, you know, I'm trying to think of the famous expression, but, you know, basically uh, the bill comes in and you realize that you've been saving money on not fixing the roof of the house, but you need a new roof. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.36 on a Wednesday morning, minus five degrees outside. And Lisa Morales will have more on this momentarily in her next traffic update, but worth warning you so you don't end up in it. Westbound 401 express lanes are closed past Renforth. There is a collision, and we don't know how much longer this is going to continue, but it's a significant issue. I always feel bad for the people. Somebody actually posted online yesterday and needs a lot more context, but apparently it was a self-driving uh, Tesla, and it's on a roadway in the United States. And for whatever reason, all of a sudden, you end up with a 14-car pileup. And so I always think if you're in immediately behind something like that, then you're stuck. And we have seen traffic issues in the past in Toronto. I mean, it happens anywhere. But in Toronto, where, for example, you're cruising along and you're in the express lane and all of a sudden there's an accident in front of you and you're stuck and you're like 100 meters past where you could have exited and people start trying to back up to get out. And it inevitably leads to even more chaos. But Lisa Morales will keep her eyes on that situation. As mentioned, westbound 401 express lanes closed past Renforth. Okay, so just before we start digging a little deeper into uh, Toronto's tax issues, and I know I'm going to hear from all kinds of people saying, why do I care? I don't live in Toronto. Yeah, but Toronto is, first of all, a municipality like any other. So whatever budget crunch Toronto is facing, other municipalities probably face. But it's also, it's the heartbeat of Ontario. It is the, the nexus of things, economic and business and residential. And so whatever is happening in Toronto probably affects you. I imagine almost every single person listening right now has been in Toronto at least once in the last year, for example, in which case, you know, it, it does actually matter, even if you're not a rate payer in the city of Toronto. But before we get to that, I wanted to return to something we touched on in what Toronto's talking about when we were on CP24 with Jennifer. And that is that at last we know the identity of a man who was murdered in our city's core. And even at the time that it happened, I mean, it informs the story that the man is homeless, but that also 
somehow became a means of diminishing the importance of his murder. It was like, you know, well, a homeless guy. Um, but he had a name. He had a life. He had a family. His name was Ken Lee. His roots were in Hong Kong. He was 59 years old. And he was the victim of a swarming attack. And I hope one day we understand more about how that happened, what was going through the minds of the girls who were accused of having killed this man, what could have ever led to them finding each other on the Internet, getting together, and then deciding to participate in this mayhem. I hope that, you know, they weren't planning on murdering somebody that it just turned into some sort of escalated affair. And perhaps of the eight girls who were accused of being involved, you know, one of them pulls out a knife and stabs a guy and the other seven go, what the hell? Oh my God, what, what is, um, some of those, I was listening to Mark Mendelson talking about this case, uh, yesterday. And he was talking about the fact one of those girls has already been granted bail while she awaits trial. And in all likelihood, several others will as well. But I think, the big takeaway in all of this, in the aftermath of this man's death, would be that, as Mark said the morning after it happened, or the weekend after it happened, because I think it happened on a Saturday night at about uh, 11 p.m., so we were talking about it on a Monday. And Mark said, much like an episode of Law & Order, that, you know, separately, all eight of these girls would be interviewed, and probably pretty quickly, Seven of them would say, I didn't, I had nothing, I didn't do that. And it was that person. So we'll, we'll be able to identify the person who actually did the killing and then try to apportion the blame and credit or whatever you want to say, a responsibility, I guess is the right word, for what the others contributed to all of this. There is a memorial if you've uh, ever been to, like, there's, there's an exit from the Eaton Center right after you come out of Nordstrom if you're going south. And there's a restaurant there that I'm a big fan of, actually, called Mercado that we go to quite frequently on the weekend. And we'll sit at Mercado, look out the window, and there is a church, which I think is called Trinity. And that church, owing to its location and I guess the disposition of its worshipers, has a, an enormous outreach to homeless people. And there's also right outside of the church, a, a memorial with the names of Toronto homeless people who have died on the streets from drug overdoses, from murder, freezing to death. And so yesterday, the name of this, well, I was gonna say latest victim, but frankly, Ken Lee is not the last homeless person to have died in the last month in the city of Toronto but he is the latest name to have been added to that memorial. 5.42 is the time. And, um, okay, so the broad strokes on Toronto's budget are that we're still in the hole for last year, and that is owing to expenses that are largely credited to the pressures of COVID. But we're also... Uh, not entirely, if I'm understanding the figures, and I spent a hell of a lot of time yesterday going over all of this stuff. Um, we're also uh, probably in shortfall for this particular fiscal year. But the big takeaway yesterday morning when John Tory unveiled everything was a very sizable property tax increase. Now, John Tory, it has been mantra 
in every single campaign and actually every budget year, John Tory has said, I will not raise taxes beyond the rate of inflation. And so yesterday, 5.5% is eye-popping. However, since the annualized rate of inflation is probably working out to about 6.6%, uh, it was 6.8% um, in December based on November figures, but December probably uh, inflation would have gone down. So when we get the final figures, we're probably looking at an annualized rate of inflation of 6.5, 6.6. So John Tory can say, hey, listen, I'm still below the rate of inflation. And yet there's also this city building fund levy of 1.5%. And actually, I didn't dig beyond the budget documents I was looking at yesterday but we came up with a special tax to pay for the Scarborough subway extension in the Rob Ford years. So you can come up with a different tax and label it as this tax is going to this or it's for that, but a tax is a tax is a tax. So I'll look forward to our conversation at 6.35 this morning with John Tory to talk about this. At the same time, if this is the price of doing business, then it's the price of doing business. I was talking with somebody yesterday and came back to my flawless formula for how to run governments. And that is this. Decide what it is you want from your government, whichever level of government it is. So municipal, provincial, federal. What do you want your government to do for you? Then how do we, and this is actually probably the most difficult thing, how do we d figure out how to... Um, provide those services at a decent cost? And then finally, how do we pay for it? What is the fairest way to pay taxation? And the ongoing problem will always be that people want more from their government and they want to pay less for it. So if you do object, and we will take calls this morning, and I will set no limits. You can say whatever the heck you want. I just want to hear what you have to say about it. If you object to this level of tax increase in the city of Toronto, then what would you like us to spend less on? And the forever example in all of this, which is probably becoming a bit of a drone in the background for some of you, but when we, during the Ford years, came up with a list of the services that were judged to be expendable, things that we could stop providing in the city of Toronto, almost Every single one, enough people objected to it, enough city councillors objected to deleting that service that we deleted close to nothing. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. And that'll be fun. It's always exciting when a president comes to visit. They bring the beast in, which is the presidential limousine. Um, but actually, there's some interesting takeaway from the Three Amigos Summit. Because normally it's entirely performative. Everyone stands around, smiles and waves, and Bob's your uncle. And there was some speculation that Canada was going to be a bystander in all of this. But some interesting things have been revealed from the Three Amigos Summit. One of them being, and we'll put this on the agenda for the morning brief today, Preet Banerjee is going to be here at 620. It's going to be on the agenda for the roundtables, 745, 845. But... Canada is buying a missile defense system from the States and then donating it to Ukraine. So that's a pretty significant development. Also, uh, for any of you who want to be a Nexus card holder or 
are a Nexus card holder, they have um, ex- they've come up with a system to expedite renewals and applications. So I'm I'm in that category. I am a Nexus card holder. I totally recommend it. And I've been scolded by other Nexus card holders, you know, saying, listen, if too many people get them, they won't be what they are. But if you don't have a Nexus card, I mean, the way it works is when you're going to the States or coming back into Canada, you get in the fast lane. And because there is considerable jeopardy, if you were to lie about like having a bottle of scotch in your luggage, you never do. And so you don't have to go through the whole process of making declarations. You put your card in, it scans your eyes, and yeah, they have my fingerprints in the U.S. and in Canada. They have my eye scan in the U.S. and Canada. But if that means that I can get to the waiting room for a plane outbound and I can get back into Canada in five minutes instead of half an hour, I'm in. So the Nexus card is actually a tremendous thing. And actually for especially, you know, it's it's a luxury for me as an air traveler in and out of the U.S., but for some people, like my brother-in-law, my late brother-in-law, unfortunately, but he lived in Canada and worked in the States, and he commuted every single day, and he didn't have to stop. He didn't have to declare. He just waved and uh, went through. So since a huge number of Canadians live on the border and go in and out of the U.S., sometimes on a daily basis, um, the Nexus card is actually a tremendous thing. So uh, that's stuff that came out of the Three Amigos Summit. And the Ukrainian business will be interesting. I'll, I'll be interested in seeing what people have to say about it today uh, because I know that there's a, a cohort, small, but there's a cohort of people who, for whatever reason, think that we shouldn't be doing anything to help Ukraine. And when you consider that since the end of the Second World War and the dropping of the Iron Curtain, that the West has been trying to defeat this, first the Soviets and then the Russians, I'll never understand that now we have the opportunity to do so, that there are these people who are arguing that we shouldn't. And if you think it's a good idea for the Russians to expand their territory, take over more territory, then be on the border of a dozen different countries, all of which will probably be in peril, and all of which we are mandated by NATO to defend, um, it's probably better to spend the money now and to defeat Vladimir Putin, free Ukraine, and move on. We were talking on... What Toronto's talking about, uh, about this idea that they could be banning gas stoves. Um, This is an initiative in the States, but stuff that happens in the States easily spreads to Canada. So what's really going on here? How serious is this? I mean, is this sort of one of those feel-good initiatives where nothing's ever going to happen? Or is it like in Montreal where you can't burn wood in your fireplace anymore? The the argument is this, and it's funny because I was reflecting on this a while back, that anything you burn is going to create exhaust. So if you don't have proper ventilation, if you are cooking with gas, as people like to say, then you are creating exhaust in the house. How serious an issue that is, is up for debate because we live in a world full of concern trollers, right? Where people come up with things that aren't really that worrisome, but they try to persuade you that you should be terrified of them. And so now in the States, they are sounding the alarm over the fact that if you cook with gas in a house and you're not ventilating it the way a restaurant might vent it, whether you have a hood and the air is actually being exchanged on a regular basis, 
that it can lead to particulate in the air that is harmful to you. And we have found Aaron Riel, perhaps. Well, Aaron, now we're cooking with gas. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. So uh, as you mentioned, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, they plan to take action to address the pollution, which can cause health problems and respiratory problems. Is it coming for you guys, too? Possibly. But uh, the agency commissioner said that this is a hidden hazard and any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. So natural gas stoves, I'm not sure what they account for in Canada, but in the U.S., they're in about 40% of homes, and apparently they emit air pollutants like nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, fine particulates. And it's, it's matter at levels that both the EPA and the World Health Organization have said are unsafe and linked to respiratory illnesses, cardiovascular problems, cancer, and, and other healthcare conditions. So long story short, a peer-reviewed research published last month it found that more than 12% of childhood asthma cases in the U.S. can be attributed to gas stove use. That's quite a bit. And it's a contentious issue. You have people on both sides of the aisle arguing either way. And, and consumers who want to make the switch from gas to electric, they could actually get uh, help in terms of the cost from this massive climate spending bill that was signed into law in August. But I think what you need to look at is what the appliance makers are saying, because the fact of the matter is, is they're going to win either way. Uh, appliance makers, if you all have to go out and buy a new electric stove, they're okay with that. Um, but the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers, that's a D.C.-based trade group. They represent gas range manufacturers and also electric manufacturers, Whirlpool. And they say that cooking produces um, harmful byproduct no matter what kind of stove you use and that the conversation should be, be around ventilation. They say, quote, ventilation is really where the discussion should be rather than banning one particular type of technology. Banning one type of cooking appliance is not going to address the concerns of overall indoor air quality. We may need some behavior changes. We may need people to turn on their hoods when cooking. So that's an interesting take on all this. Perhaps it's more ventilation driven. Thank you very much, Aaron. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Have a great day. And yeah, Aaron's absolutely right. I mean, it's just, it's an outrageous idea that they would ban cooking with gas. And frankly, you know what would happen, right? They'd probably grandfather it. So if you have gas, you could continue to cook with gas. But it's like, just get a hood. Fine. If it's creating dangerous air, then create a, a ventilation. And I can certainly tell you that... Um, <laughs> Have you ever, ever come across a restaurant, aside from some sort of rat bass, you know, rat's ass eatery that cooks with electricity? No. Gas is the way to cook. That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.